0: The mailbag is overflowing, so let's open it up to get two questions about where it all went wrong, trades, and NBA game changers. That's a fun one. We're going to talk about it right now on the Locked On Celtics Podcast. Be ever ready. Recognize the baby, we do what you can't. Locked on number 18, Tatum and Brown, J team step back. We gon' wet that and play teams. Of course the Celtics, who else could it be? Screaming like KG with the Larry O'Be. Corralis above average, assessing the team status. Best daily pod, no cap, salary matching. clutch like Bird the DJ, keep jumping on replay. Prime time, up the truth on the sideline. Rain and James, how it started, raising banners how we, we finished. Locked on Celtics pod, home of the winners. Hey there, welcome back to Casual Friday here on Lockdown Celtics. Thank you for making this show your first listen every day, Monday through Friday. Make it part of your daily routine. Lockdown Celtics is available everywhere podcasts exist and on YouTube. I hope you enjoy the show on YouTube. Uh, every episode, lockdownceltics.com. If you miss one, want to scroll it back, want to run it back, that is certainly something you can do. I'm John Corrales. I cover the team for Boston Sports Journal. I've written a book called the Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars on the YouTube. You can see it back here. Whoop. Nice nice cover, Larry Bird on the cover. Uh, get it anywhere books are sold online. You can get it on my website, johncarralis.com. For $30, you can get a personalized copy sent out to you with whatever you want to say on it. Send it as a gift. I think it'll be fun. Today, mailbag questions. Lots and lots and lots of mailbag questions. Now, in, in one way, I'm very happy that this happened, but in another way, I'm not, because I have prided myself on being able to answer all of your your mailbag questions on the show. However, there are so, so, so many. I just can't possibly get to them all. Um, so I'm going to have to start, like, responding to the emails, I guess, because I do want to respond and answer questions. Uh, But seriously, like if I were to answer every mailbag question I have, every unanswered mailbag question, I'd be here for like three hours. And I can't do that. It's supposed to be a half hour show-ish. So let's just dive into it. Lots of questions about trades. Um, Interesting questions. uh, People asking me about my routine. Some NBA history questions, which I love. And a reminder, you can go into NBA questions if you'd like. Question, ask me. Ask me about my job. Ask me about this. Ask me about whatever you want. Like, you know, without turning it into like super, super personal stuff. But you could ask me things that you might want to know about what do I do and how I do it and stuff like that. Certainly like to get to those. That's going to be later on. I want to start with a very special email, though. Comes from Tom M. You might remember Tom M. From yesterday's podcast where he, uh, he and I had a little exchange. We'll just leave it at that. Tom M. heard that exchange, which is good, and he said he emailed a very long email. I will read it in part. He says, I'm reaching out to apologize for my sarcastic, scathing message yesterday. It came from my perceived right or wrong notion that members of the media in this town build smart up and turn a blind eye when he doesn't play well at the expense of others he's certainly a lightning rod and we can agree to disagree on his worth to the team you are certainly not alone in your assessment as I'm often reminded by both Scal and Mike Gorman it's true they are both Scal guys I mean uh, smart guys regardless my email was over the top and uncalled for Tom thank you I really appreciate you owning up to it I have a ton of respect. This is exactly how it should go. You go over the top like that. Um, you recognize it. Send back a message. Say, you know what? My bad. All good. All cool, man. I, I'm happy that you did that, um, and no need to take it any further. Uh, just this is how I operate, though. I I think people who watch and listen to this show, I'm I'm a pretty I think straightforward guy. I I, I try to. Like I loved, I draw on treat people with respect. I love the game of basketball. I love everything that it's done for me. I want to share that love with everybody. I see myself as a very positive person. Every once in a while, someone sends me a message that that comes from a negative place. And when I get negative energy in, I'm gonna send negative energy back out. You give, you get what you give, and that's how I operate. So, Tom, appreciate it. That's why I responded to it the way I did. I'm glad you uh took the time to send a message. As far as I'm concerned, all done. Thank you for coming back, Tom. Really do appreciate it. Let's get on to the rest of the questions. Welcome welcome Tom back <coughs> with open arms. Ryan asks, "Uh hey John, uh, you probably get some version of this question often, but I generally like to know your opinion on the fall of this team over the last three seasons. It's perplexing to see a consistent top four seed and Eastern Conference team fall to 500 over the last two seasons without any obvious drain in the team's talent. What does the nineteen twenty team that won 48 games and went to the ECF have that this current team doesn't? This is, this is a great question because I think it gets to the heart of where I think the disconnect is because a lot of people treat the last three seasons equally. And I don't. I don't treat the 1920 season, even the way it went in the 2021 season, in this 21-22 season, as equal NBA seasons at all because of, first of all, COVID. COVID changed everything. So let's go back. Why did those teams prior to these past two seasons succeed? Well, you had Tatum and Brown who were younger and in more supporting roles. Uh, In 1920, you had Hayward coming back. People, I think, really underestimate the impact that Gordon Hayward had on this team. That injury to Gordon Hayward, a lot of people say this, and I completely agree, that injury to Gordon Hayward derailed a very promising situation for the Celtics. That Hayward-Kyrie situation with um, rookie Jason Tatum and second-year Jalen Brown, that was the two concurrent. We had those two guys as supporting role players for the few years that Kyrie and Gordon were supposed to be the star players. And when those guys aged out and maybe left, that's when Tatum and Brown were going to assume their roles and carry the rest of it through. Hayward's injury... Derailed all of that. People do not remember how damn good Hayward was. He was awesome. He was a Western Conference all star. I thought by coming to the East, Hayward was setting himself up to have a Hall of Fame career. If he had stayed healthy, he was going to be an all star in the East multiple times. He was going to build a resume where people were going to say, wow, this dude's been an all star like seven, eight straight years who knows what they would have would they have won a championship would they have won more like there's there's a lot there so anyway uh you had Kemba Walker come in after Kyrie so that 1920 team had Kemba pre-injury before the all-star game Kemba was awesome Kemba was an all-star that year Kemba was an all-star so when we say the premise I think here is flawed that there was no obvious drain in the team's talent. There was a tremendous drain in this team's talent because you lost an all star in Kemba Walker. That all star level Kemba was huge for this team. Gordon coming back healthy. That was his first like healthy basketball that he was playing for the Celtics in a long time. So that was huge. Losing those two guys was a problem. And then COVID. Derails you you have an Eastern Conference Finals run then you have a short turnaround that short turnaround every team Boston, Miami, Denver, LA struggled in some way that following season and the Celtics were the hardest hit covid team that following season back when getting covid was like very very serious and now people seem to be like ah health and safety not a big deal that's that's not that's not uh how it goes now So that short turnaround and remember the Celtics were planning for that season to start at the end of January. Then it turned around and they started at Christmas. Well, Kemba is now missing. He missed a month before he came back. Kemba was supposed to come back at the start of the season. When Kemba came back, that was supposed to be the start of the season, not a month into the season where all of a sudden Jason and Jalen were starting to play certain roles. And now Kemba comes back still dealing with the knee. And now he's not, he's not playing the exact same role that he was going to play. Danny Ainge has to pivot, has to quick pivot. And he goes to, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, geez. I just completely drew a blank. You get Tristan Thompson and, uh, whatever that guards, I totally blanked on the guards name, but, um, that turned out to be a complete disaster because you go for a guard that uh, you weren't going to sign. And all of a sudden, you are now going to uh, a different plan. Uh, and I'm I'm just completely ashamed of myself for – you're probably screaming this guy's name out. And I don't know why I can't think of his name. But um, Jeff Teague. Oh. Jeff Teague, they wouldn't sign Jeff Teague if the the season starts January first. You had the you had the 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 Gordon Hayward departure that turned into like that quick offseason because the quick turnaround, that quick off season, you can't work the sign and trade that you're trying to trying to work out. All of a sudden he just says, okay, I'm going to go to Charlotte. Now you got to go to Charlotte and be like, hey, we'll give you draft picks to create this traded player exception. So you save face there. Then you turn around and you get Jeff Teague and you think Tristan Thompson is going to help you out. And that's a complete disaster. Everything snowballs. Everything just pivots. Boom, 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 boom. Then then Tatum gets COVID. Then everybody gets COVID. So it's not a surprise that that last season Derailed, and now all of a sudden this year you've got Ime Odoka, brand new coming in, trying new lineups, trying new, new everything, new guys. You have Dennis Schroeder working things out. I was expecting the team to be better, but they're a 500 team. But as I said in yesterday's show, if they even have just an average shooting season, they're not 500. They're better than 500. So some things just have just gone gone wrong for this team. And again, COVID you know, destroys the continuity and all of that stuff for everybody. But it hit the Celtics like this because, you know, it makes them, it makes them, you know, not as it takes away the continuity. I know people are going to be sitting there listening to this or or watching this and say, well, that's excuses. Well, no, it's an explanation. Ask a question. Why did it happen? That's my, that's my explanation. They need to turn it around and hopefully they turn it around. But, We'll see if they can. But that's that's how they got here. That's how the Celtics got here. We'll come back with when is enough enough coming up next. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march into the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline is still the number one spot for all your sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and they've got a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to get started. So, whatever your favorite sport is or your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available in 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. Have you subscribed to the Locked On Celtics podcast yet? You can wherever podcasts exist, and you can follow us on Spotify. Hey, thanks for making Locked On Celtics your first listen every day. Make Locked On Now your second listen every day. That's a great recap of the night in the NBA. You get a couple minutes from each side. The host of each team that played uh, gives you their quick recap. And it's a great way to get caught up on the entire night. You get every perspective out there. Locked On Now, wherever you get your podcasts. On YouTube, on the Locked On NBA feed. Let's get back to the questions. I took up a lot of time with those first two questions more than I expected. So Kyle asks, uh, in games like Wednesday versus the sub-500 Pacers with no smart, would it really kill us to play Langford or NeSmith seven to ten minutes off the bench? At some point, we need to know what we have. Kyle, I get it. That's something that I've said before. But as I think about it more, there's one thing here that I think is a super important point. And I'm going to fold in the next, the next question. I'm going to say this, though. This notion that at some point we need to know what we have, thats that that means us, like me and you. The coaches know what we have, right? Like when we say we need to know what we have, that's like we on the outside are just asking Imei to be like, hey, can you just show us what we have in these guys because I need to form my opinion. But let me fold in this Ja Green uh, question who says, I'm tired of hearing about the lack of Neesmith and Romeo development. We as fans aren't in the coaching rooms or the practices to know behind the scenes work the coaches are putting in with these players. Is it possible that they just aren't ready? Despite all we want to see from them, it seems clear that they just haven't earned their time on the court. It's hard for me to see why they deserve minutes over the vets right now. You and Imei have already pointed out the position crunch with Peyton. He clearly has developed and the earned earned minutes. Also, Rob and Grant have clearly improved more while under Imei's leadership. These players are hard workers and clearly put in the work. Why can't fans just give Emei credit for playing the guys that have earned it? And that sums it up, I think, very nicely. Now, yes, I do think that there are times where, hey, can, can you play Tatum and Brown like 32, 33 minutes? Like here and there, like can you cut four or five minutes from them somewhere? I, I think there's there's certainly room for that. I don't want to overextend these guys. I don't want those guys to end up with more soft tissue injuries. I don't want any of that. At the same time, from Ime's perspective, think about who Ime is. He's a dude that worked his ass off to get everything that he's gotten, right? He has put blood, sweat, and tears, literal blood, sweat, and tears into his basketball career. Do you think Ime Odoka is going to walk into a gym and be like, yeah, you – second-year guy, I don't think you're ready, but eh, let's give you a chance. No. In fact, I think that's why he gives Dennis Schroeder more opportunity than I think Schroeder should get because Schroeder, for all of my criticism of him, is a tough SOB. That dude will play through anything, and I think I think Ime loves that about him. I, I respect that about him too. That dude, doesn't matter what it is, man, you can chop his head off. He'd be like holding it on his head going, no, I'm good, I'm good, I can go, I can go play. That dude is tough. Right, style of play notwithstanding, you got to respect Schroeder's toughness, and I think that's why he plays as much as he does. And only recently has been moved out of certain lineups. Ime is not going to give guys minutes who haven't earned those minutes. That's going to be a very strong message. Guys like Josh Richardson are established and they've shown they can play. Guys like you know Grant had to work his way into this lineup. He reached out to Ime over the summer, said, what do I need to do? He came into camp with that exact, you know, slim down, shooting 40% type of, you know, game. Like, all right, I respect that. I told you what to do and you did it. That's, that's why Ime is playing who he plays. So these guys are going to have to earn their, their, their time. They're going to have to earn it. And sometimes, and Ime has learned this, over the course of his playing career. Sometimes you do play well enough to earn minutes. And the guy ahead of you is just a little bit better. And that's, you know, tough, tough, buddy. You got you This is how it goes. This is the NBA. There's no handouts here. I agree that Neesmith needs to play more. And that's why I said, hey, look, the only solution that I can think of right now is more more G League minutes until his time comes in the in the NBA. Romeo should be getting some time. I don't want to overtax Tatum and Brown, um, and I hope that there can be some middle ground there. But Ime is going to make these guys earn it. Uh, Jean says hello. I watch a show every day from France. Well, hello, bonjour. Um, I agree with your stance on blowing up the team. It's too soon, but I have an honest quench- question. At what point will we have seen enough in your opinion? Great question we, I'm I'm very much a patient kind of you know observer of the team. I understand that certain things take time and it's hard in the NBA you can say yes, we need to trade this guy and that guy and get this type of player, but it also requires other teams to say, yes, we will trade this guy to you and have oh we have this type of player available sometimes you've got to adjust and you have a plan and that plan kind of falls by the wayside at the same time. I think there is an expiration date uh, on when this is going to work and when it's going to not work. And it depends. It really kind of matches up with the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum contracts. So Jason Tatum is, is under contract for a while. So he's fine. Um, Jalen Brown has two more years on his contract. So I think, I think it's fair to say if the Celtics by the net, by this time next year, okay, mark it down January 13th, 2023, if they're in the exact same spot, January 20, January 13th, 2023, and there's no movement and these guys aren't better playmakers, and everything is just the same? I think a year from now, you start to entertain that question because Jalen will only have one more year left on his contract. So he's going to make 28.7 next year and then 30.7 the year after that. Um, If it's not working and if he is giving you indications that, you know what, if this doesn't work, I'm bouncing, and he doesn't want to resign – then you have to start having that conversation. But if he's open to re-signing and Tatum is open to re-signing, uh, then you you still keep pushing it. You, I, I think you still keep pushing it with those two. And, and you still have to try to build around the edges. But I'm on record. Jalen and Jason are the only two untouchables on this team. As much as I am a Marcus Smart guy, and I think you don't just trade Marcus Smart to trade him, I do think he's tradable, and so is Rob, and so is Al, and so is Josh Richardson, and so is everybody. If it makes the team better, that's just the business of the NBA. You have you can't have an emotional attachment. I personally, part of why I like Marcus Smart so much is when I was playing, I, if I had a Marcus Smart on my team, I'd like he'd be my my favorite teammate, right? Like he's the exact type of guy, and I think I think he, I do see him as a good point guard. Like I see the good in him. I don't just think that he's a maniac and, oh, I love that maniac and I'm going to overlook things. That's just my opinion. But at the same time, if Marcus Smart plus pieces gets the Celtics a better overall package and that improves the team, then, you know, got to go for it. You got to. So I'm not blowing up the team now. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to entertain the idea at the next trade deadline, but even then I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent, but I'm, I'm starting to be open to it. And then if, if by the following year, then anytime after that, if it doesn't improve, then then you have to make business decisions. All right, up next, some names, some specific names, some Robert Williams, and some personal questions. It's all coming up next after I tell you about Bilt Bar. It's a new year. That means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit, or getting healthier, or eating healthier, Built Bar is part of that plan for sure. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, so you know that you can have it, you can eat it, it's delicious, it can satisfy a craving. However, most of these Built Bars have about 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein, compare that to like a candy bar, probably the one that you have in your little secret junk drawer, 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs. That's terrible satisfy your crazy cravings with the built bar. They've got a bunch of great tasting flavors, whatever type of flavor you like. Coconut, peanut butter, fruit, it's you have options. Go to built.com, check it out. Over tons of there's just tons of these different flavors. I like the peanut butter brownie myself, but if you use the promo code LOCK15, you can sample them. They have a mixed box. You can get two of a few different flavors. Put them in that mixed box. Try them out. Go back. Use the promo code LOCK15 again. 15% off every single time so you can stock up. And you should go by and and sign up for their their newsletter and their promos because every once in a while something crosses into your email and you're like, whoa, that's a great sale. You want to stock up? You can use that. You can use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off every single time at Built.com. Be sure to follow our social channels at lo Celtics on Twitter and at Locked On Celtics on Instagram. Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast. Thank you for making it part of your daily routine. Your first listen every day. Make Locked On bets your second listen every day. Just talk to you about Bet Online. Locked bets can maybe help you uh, put some money down in the right places at Bet Online. Lee Sterling has the expert your uh, expert advice. Your boy Q is the host. It's a great podcast and can help give you some good guidance. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's run through the rest of these questions. Uh, Some specifics here. Uh, Angelo, what do you think about the Celtics trying to trade for Josh Hart? I think his salary can fit in with the TPE. Uh, Roger, who says, "Ah, "Hi, it's Roger from Barcelona. I want to ask you for the Goran Dragic situation. I think he would be useful. And so any real possibility of trading... For him. Um, Dragic is probably more likely to move. Um, let's see. He's making 19.4. So he's not going to fit into any traded player exceptions. He's more likely to move. Uh, I, I don't know that the Celtics, I don't think he's going to move to the Celtics because you have to, you'll have to match salary. You have to commit to him next year at 19.4 million. You're, you're, you have to combine a few players to get to that level. You're committing to the luxury tax, and I don't think Goran Dragic is the difference maker uh, on this team. So he might make them better. He might lead to a few more wins, but I don't think the Celtics are going to give up the types of pieces that are necessary to match the salary. I don't think they're going to go into the luxury tax just for a few more wins. Uh, he's not going to win the, the Celtics championship. So I think Dragic is probably out. Uh, Josh Hart is a super interesting guy. His salary does fit into the TPE at $12 million. But here's here's the thing with Hart. I haven't heard a single rumor about Josh Hart being dangled. They like him in New Orleans. He's he's that type of player that everybody wants, but New Orleans also wants him. I think their recent winning streak and and their kind of yeah, this feeling that maybe Zion can come back at some point and they can make a run and things change a little bit with Zion on that team. I I don't think they're, they're sellers necessarily. And, and certainly not to just salary dump him into the Celtics TPE. That's not going to happen. And, and, and I will just end this particular thing with the specific names because specific names is, is one of the, the questions that I get all the time. Who are you targeting? What, what can we expect? Who can we expect and I really don't like doing that in trades because a lot of people just say, oh, I like that guy. What would it take to get that guy? And so often it's, it's, it's a guy who's not available or a guy that's not available for what the Celtics have. So I, I hesitate to drop specific names just because I don't want to say, oh, well, a guy like this would be good. We know shooters, you know, like, okay, I'll break my rule by saying Alec Burks would be a great guy to go get. Are you think the Knicks are going to give up Alec Burks right now? No, no. So he's, you know, but a player like that, who's a player like that that's out there that can be gotten? I don't know. Um, Fortunes change quickly and I'm not sure, you know, guys that we think are available won't be and guys who aren't available will be. People ask about Cam Reddish. I've got a bunch of Cam Reddish Cam Reddish questions that I had to dump because Cam Reddish got traded to the Knicks. And it's it's so hard to say what, what people's motivation is going to be. So um, I'll just leave it at that. All right, Nate says his question focuses on Robert Williams. Can't help but notice some glaring deficiencies on the offensive end. This is part of like a longer thing, so I don't want to make it sound like Um, Nate is being just completely negative. He, but this is the the, the heart of his question. Um, a few times a game, Rob ends up with a rebound or a pass within a few feet of the rim and immediately dumps the ball to the perimeter without even looking or thinking of looking at the hoop. A few times a game, Rob also gets the ball around the free throw line distance from the hoop unguarded. And he doesn't even think to dribble, make a move or shoot. Um, I'm happy with Rob and his progression. Uh, but he needs to add some offensive skills to his back to make him an elite starter. This, more than any trade, can unlock championship possibilities for this team. Um, and I'll roll in Phillips, uh, who says, like you, I'm an optimist. I don't believe in blowing this team up. However, this season, it felt like lack of shooting from Rob and inconsistent shooting from Smart compresses the floor the Jays on the Jays and shuts us down. How can we fix that? Perhaps we look to add shooting or run more plays through Rob. Rob-centered stuff. I mean, I, I, I love Robert Williams, and I just did a breakdown. It's going to post at some point in the morning, Friday morning, on Boston Sports Journal. It's very centered on Tatum and Brown, but you see a little bit of the impact that uh, Robert Williams has. He has a lot of gravity going towards the rim. Ime Odoka has said flat out, like, it would suck if he spends his whole career going out there as just the guy who catches lobs. In-season, it's hard to add to your game. Right. He's probably working. And one of the things that I hate about not being in the arena or at, or at practices is, I, I shouldn't say in the arena, uh, but at practices is what used to happen is after practice, I would go down there and they'd be shooting around. And that's when guys would start working on different elements of their game. And I see Jason Tatum working on floaters. And all of a sudden, a few games later, he starts to throw some floaters in there. It's hard for guys to come completely add these elements to their game during the season. They're generally going to be adding them in the offseason. Yes, it would be nice if Rob can add something reliable, a move, something. Um, I think Rob can benefit from a little bit of old school post, post play. I think there's something there. Uh, I, I do believe that there's, there is room to teach guys how to make simple post moves. Feel a guy on your back. Make a quick power dribble. Understand what's make your read from the from from the post and say, all right. I know I got my point guard. I know I got this guy. I got these guys over here. I understand the defense that that the other team is playing. If I get the ball here, I got my defender. I can feel him on this hip. I can feel him straight behind me. Whatever. I can feel his elbow. I can feel his forearm in my back. So I'm going to lean. I'm going to catch the ball and boom, make a move. His whole thing, the whole thing about post moves is quick decisions, make a good read. If it's not there, kick it back out. It's fine. But a quick spin, a quick power dribble, make a little jump hook, that's fine. Totally on board for that. And I think sometimes on offensive rebounds, he should look to go back up. But at the same time, I think he understands. This is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's team. I got the offensive rebound. We got 14 seconds. Let's set this back up. So I agree that he needs to think about going back up. I also understand where he's coming from because he took he took a couple of jump shots from twelve feet and Ime after the game is like we kind of don't want him doing that. So maybe he can add that and maybe he can step that back. Uh, I, I heard Chris Mannix get ambitious and talk about adding a three pointer to his game. Maybe someday, but let's baby steps with this. I do agree that Rob needs to add to his game. And and I do think that Rob can clog up some space, but he also is what they call a vertical spacer. Cause by the time when he goes down the middle and attacks the rim, everybody sucks in and it opens up space in the perimeter for guys to shoot. So, uh, if you watch the, the, the clips on the Boston Sports Journal piece, there's going to be a point where the Celtics with two corner floor spacers run a high pick and roll with Tatum and and Rob, and you have Jalen Brown one pass away, and that's going to be very hard to defend because you can't help off of Jalen Brown. It's going to be hard if teams aren't switching or can't switch perfectly. That, that's a play that they can just you can run Rob right down the middle, somebody's going to have to react to that, and you're going to have two or three options there, uh, including potentially Rob down the middle. That's going to be a play I think the Celtics can lean on down the stretch. So he does. I, I do think they should do more through Rob, and he he does have a lot of gravity. Let's, hopefully he can add something uh, to his game down the road. I think I would love to see it. It would be nice to have that, that option at the very least. Jack asks, is it crazy for me to not want the Celtics – to trade Josh Richardson. I think that he works well with the Jays, with the bench unit, and in the locker room. I think he really turned into that 3 and D guy from Miami that they didn't think they'd find. Other than a very tradable contract, is there any reason why we should let him go? Uh, No, I I think this is the, the beauty of Josh Richardson. They can play this a couple of different ways. If this is the Josh Richardson that the Celtics have, then you have found a guy... That moving forward, you know, can work with these guys, and he plays a style that is very, very helpful, and I think can be very, very helpful in the playoffs as well. Um, you can see him with the ball handling; he's he's not bad. He he makes some decent decisions. He made some poor ones. He threw one of one of the worst alley oops I've ever seen. Also, part of my breakdown <laughs> on Boston Sports Journal that was just a mistime thing that he ended up rushing and it ended up being a horrible alley oop. Favorite thing about that is you hear him on the broadcast after he whips it off the rim he turns around and is like holy shit and he runs around and they're like yeah yeah we all agree Josh but he's good he's a good player uh he's he's the type of player that very easily could stay or go and i think the value in trading Josh is that he is now a contract that can be used to aggregate without giving up Marcus Smart, if you value Marcus Smart in that way and you say Marcus's defense and his overall value to this team, having been here being the longest tenured Celtic and all of that stuff, his attitude his intensity is more worth it to you, then you can keep you can keep him and trade Richardson in a deal that you know you get that bigger salary to aggregate and and you can maybe substitute him in and move on and you keep Marcus smart. At the same time, if, if you don't value Marcus Smart like that, you can move Smart and you feel okay about keeping Richardson. He's a pretty good defender and he's tall and he can, he can make good decisions. And hey, in a pinch, he can be your backup point guard or handle some of those minutes and yeah, you can do something different. Totally see that as well. That's, that's the, the, the blessing and curse of Josh Richardson where you know he, he's, he's worth keeping, but he's also worth trading in the right deal. And, and that that's going to make different people upset, but I like Josh and he's, he's like one of the more likable guys on the team. Like he's, he's fun to talk to. He's a good player. A couple of personal questions before we wrap this up. Well, actually one personal question. And then one fun question that I love Patrick says, Hey there, John, I was wondering what your game day routine looks like. What time do you get to the arena? Do they have media parking? Very interested in both home and away what, what home in a way games look like for you? Uh, sadly, after the pandemic, road games look like this. I'm at home. Uh, the advent of Zoom has created a situation where there's, you know, there is there is value to traveling, but it's expensive to travel. It's expensive to send send you out there. And I think, you know, for road games now, I can cover them without all that expense from home. And so that's what I do now. Um, and it has changed also what my game day routine is generally like, because I can't go down to the floor, but I can tell you what it used to be. And it used to be like, if they had a shoot around in the morning at home, I'd go to the RBAC center, you go, they have a shoot around, you get down, you can stand on the floor, you talk to the coach, you maybe talk to a player, you get to the beauty of that is, Players walk by, and if you have a comment or you have a question, you just like off the record, you can just fire it off, and they'd be there, and they can answer that for you. Um, Assistant coaches, which I haven't gotten a chance to talk to any of the assistant coaches other than a a quick nod passing each other in the hallway. There's no no time to get to know any of them. And, you know, compare and contrast that to Jay Laranega comes back, um, and, you know, he sees me, and – before he goes to warm up, comes over, daps me up. Hey, how you doing? How you been? Like you develop these relationships with these assistant coaches. They see you as they move on. You come back and it's like, oh man, how's it going? Because they know, they. we all know. I think we all respect each other's grind. So normally on a, a 7.30 game, I get to the arena about five. Uh, I'd be on the court talking to people, talking to, you know, just have – Sometimes the assistant coaches are waiting or sitting there waiting for their players to come out. And I'd ask like simple basketball questions like, you know, the rotation of the basketball focus on the rim. What do you, what are you thinking when you're shooting the ball? Like all these like simple little, just shoot the shit questions. Um, which, which would be great. Ime Doka speaks at five forty five on a seven thirty start time at home starts. He talks at six on the road. Um, and then you transcribe the the audio, and uh, for Boston Sports Journal, I do a quick preview. So I'm writing now uh, before that, so I, I get quotes, and I'll start that beforehand. But I'm you know crafting a a preview in my live coverage there. So normally I'd be down on the floor, I'd be really up close. Um, you talk to some of the you know. Opposing players, the opposing coaches, you, you know, you get to really get to know some people uh from time to time. On the road, it was great because shoot arounds on the road, you know, you 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 get to see the other teams, you know, practice facilities and, and all of that stuff. Um, you get to see other teams you get to go to like when the Celtics were in in LA and they're practicing at UCLA. You know, now I'm on the campus of UCLA walking around, be like, hey, what's going on? This is kind of wild. Um so Nowadays, I get to the gym around 5.30. I used to get to the gym between 4.30 and 5. Um, kind of more watching from a distance. Uh, I work out in the arena, not in the press room. I, uh, and then after the game, you get down back into the press room. The coach, the players talk afterwards, transcribe that, and I'm writing. And if they're a home game and there's another home game soon and they don't change the game over, change the floor, floor over to uh, ice for the Bruins, I get to do my podcast there. So I don't, if I do the podcast there, I probably don't leave the arena till almost two in the morning. So it's a full work day. You know, you get there at five and you leave at, you know, between one or two. That's a full work day. So hopefully that answers the question. Uh, I miss I miss being on the road though, uh, because you I love I love road arenas I love seeing the the crowds and all of that stuff. Aiden, we'll wrap it up with Aiden's question. In your opinion, which NBA players have made the biggest changes to the game, play style, pop culture, etc.? I think of Steph, MJ, and Dirk. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Bob Cousy had a gigantic impact on the game. Now people will laugh and they'll say, "Bob Cousy dribbled like this. You had to dribble like that back then because you I always say if you put Kyrie Irving in a in a time machine and you you brought him back to 1959 NBA, he would turn the ball over every time because as soon as you put the ball on the side, your hand on the side of the ball, that's a carry. Nowadays they don't care, but it's the reason he dribbled the way he did is that's the only way you were allowed to dribble. And he still was changing everything. They call him the Houdini of the hardwood for that reason. That is a major, major impact because he showed he was like the first, first showman. Wilt Chamberlain literally changed the dimensions on the floor. They had to widen the lane for Wilt Chamberlain. I thought he, he's one of the most impactful players. Just his size, his dominance. So play style, totally... Uh, with him. Uh, the dominant big man, they changed They changed the game. You could even say Bill Russell because they outlawed dunking because of Bill Russell. But uh, in the NBA, Wilt, I think, is is a huge one. That takes us into the 60s. In the 70s, I'm going to go Julius Irving because Dr. J was this perfect crossover from the ABA to the NBA. And the NBA at that point, was still, even though it was integrated, it was a it's still a very segregated fan base, and so you had a very uh, white fan base, and then the ABA was a very black fan base. A lot more schoolyard play, dunks were you know highlights, and they they innovated the three point shot, and then when they merged, Dr. J was kind of the face of that. And, and he became like this cool symbol uh, of marrying those two styles together. Magic, uh, even Larry, but Magic Johnson, Showtime, he was like you know this huge, this pitch man. Magic Johnson had a huge impact. My, Michael Jordan, obviously you mentioned Michael with the shoes. Uh, in the 90s, there might not be a more influential player, modern era, than Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson is the, I think, epicenter of the marriage of hip-hop and basketball. Allen Iverson with his Answer, Reeboks, the commercials with Jadakiss are iconic, iconic. And that is, I think, the flashpoint of when hip-hop culture and NBA culture kind of really, really merged. There may be no bigger pop culture NBA icon than Allen Iverson, and I put him on a level like Michael Jordan changed the sneaker game, and he that's that's a different animal. But even in the playing days, the impact like MJ was selling sneakers, Iverson was changing a culture. So he he's a a huge, huge, huge one. Uh, and then obviously you mentioned Steph. Steph is is kind of like the guard version of Wilt because he's expanding the game the other way. Wilt expanded the game widthwise. Steph is expanding the game lengthwise with his ability to shoot. Now you've got guys pulling up from the logo. Trey Young, Damian Lillard, Brandon Ingram just hit a, a game winner from the logo. Those are shots that would that used to get guys benched. Now it's like, wow, that was amazing. And we don't think anything of it. I still think it's crazy. But uh, so yeah, uh, Steph is probably one of the, and I I wonder how that's going to change the three-pointer. Because I think he it's due for a change. Re- reimagining what the three-pointer is because of Steph and his abilities specifically and what he's inspired other players to do. The generation of players that he's inspiring coming up Changing the dynamic of that three-point line, I think, is, is something that, that, that's going to have to happen because of him. So I'll leave it at that. I love that question. I love basketball history. Um, and there are probably other guys. You can, you can drill down deeper. And, you know, Clyde Frazier with his style is, is an iconic type of guy. And, and there are different guys throughout each era that you can say, you know, like you know, Charles Barkley had an impact. And, and different guys had different impacts. But those names that I mentioned were, I think, the biggest ones. All right. That was an awesome Q&A. I loved it. Thank you all for the questions. I went way too long and that was just those few questions. So uh, thank you all for so many questions. Uh, I will try to get to them as much as I can uh, and and try to answer your questions because I do appreciate and respect the time you've taken to ask those. I do want to answer them. So I'll do that. Continue to send them in. I will sprinkle them into other episodes when I can as well. That's the Friday show. That's this week. This has been a, this is a Monday through Friday podcast. I will address, hopefully it's worth addressing, Philly, Friday night game, Chicago, Saturday night game. I will mix those two into the Monday podcast. Hopefully they're worth it. Stick around, subscribe to find out if I think they are. Watch the show on YouTube. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Spread the word if you're a subscriber and a listener and a watcher. Tell your friends, tell everybody they should be listening to and watching the Locked on Celtics Podcast here on the Locked on Podcast Network.